Well, good morning, church. It is good for us to be together, whether you are here in the sanctuary, whether you are joining us online, whether you are listening on the radio on KTCU, uh, however you are, wherever you are. It is good for us to be together, to be able to worship God in this way. Now, before I begin this morning, I want to take just a moment. I hope you will allow me a moment of personal privilege because I want to say some things publicly to everyone that I've already said privately to a few, but I want to make sure that everyone uh, hears what I have to say. On Tuesday of this last week, we were, uh, our music ministry took place and did a concert at Bass Hall down, downtown uh, entitled Alive at the Bass, a musical epiphany. And it was incredible. If you were there, you know what I speak. I said something to somebody the other day. I said, you know, for someone who makes his living by having the right words to say, I was speechless. I was completely blown away. I had no words at just how incredible and beautiful the whole thing was from start to finish. One of my favorite pieces that they did was the national anthem of Ukraine. We took a moment to pray silently for peace, and then Todd led us in a new arrangement that was just written a couple of weeks ago, of the Ukrainian national anthem. There was not a dry eye in the place, and it just went up from there. It was absolutely incredible. And so what I want to say publicly to everyone, uh, what I've already said privately to a few, is that we are incredibly blessed but the music ministry of University Christian Church under the leadership of Todd Prickett, of Janet Pummel, of Amy Stewart, of Eric Mullins, and our amazing, amazing choir, week in and week out, we are blessed by you. Now, my family will tell you that I'm a little bit competitive All right, I'm a lot competitive, but I believe this with all that I am, that there is not a finer music ministry in Fort Worth, Texas. I don't believe there's a finer one in Texas, and I would put this choir and this music ministry against any church in the United States. Can I get an amen on that? So during the season of Lent, we have been reading together as a congregation the Gospel of Lent, what we're refer- the Gospel of Luke, what we're referring to as the Gospel of Nobodies. And we put together a reading plan and just a few ch- verses each week or each day and invite people to read together. It's been pretty transformational. I heard talked to a family this last week that said that they have been reading it with their children in their children's Bible and they have been reading every night as they gather together for dinner. It's been transformational for that family and I think in a lot of ways it has been very impactful for this congregation. And for the last couple of weeks, if you've been following the reading plan, we have been focusing on a part of Luke's gospel in which Jesus makes the journey from Galilee, which was in the north, down to Jerusalem, where he's going to be crucified. You may remember in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem, and he knows 
He knows the end of the story. He knows that he's going to die. Well, that journey narrative, what some scholars refer to as that journey narrative that begins in Luke chapter 9, continues to this day, consumes 40%, 40% of the gospel. Now, that was a journey that only would have taken about nine days, but it consumes 40% of the gospel. And if you add in the last week, uh, which we'll start reading together this week, uh, over 60%, over 60% of Luke's gospel is made up of the last month or two months of Jesus' ministry and life, his journey to Jerusalem, and the final week, what we now refer to as the Holy Week or the Passion Week. And if you've been reading long, you have, uh, you have seen, you've read, you've encountered some of the great stories and some of the great teachings of Jesus, things like the Lord's Prayer that we just said a moment ago when Jesus taught His disciples, when you pray, say this. He, we have encountered the, the teaching on the two great commandments, to love God and love your neighbor, to, 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 to the importance of, of, of loving God more than all of your possessions. We've encountered many of the parables, these great nuggets, these teachings of Jesus. Today, I want us to focus on a story that takes place on that journey that once again illustrates Jesus' passion, his care, his concern for the outsiders, the people that society referred to as the nobodies, the outcasts, the little, the lost, and the least, those that have been pushed to the sides, to the margins of society. And so this morning, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles. If you didn't bring yours, there's some right there in front of you. We'll start reading in Luke 17, verse 11, and it says this. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, I would remind you that the Samaritans and the Galileans, the Jews, uh, they didn't get along so well. That might be a bit of an understatement. And Jesus and His disciples, those followers of His, they wanted to go to Samaria because that was a direct shot. But the Samaritans would not let him pass through. And so he was a Jew going to Jerusalem and said, you can't go through here. And so they wouldn't let him pass. And so what he would have to do was to go the long route. He traveled along the border to the east, crossing the Jordan River, down along the eastern sea, or the eastern side of the bank of the river, back across the Jordan when he got south of Samaria and then back into Judea, and then into Jericho. And this journey and everything that happens along the way, as I said, takes up nearly half of Jesus, excuse me, of Luke's gospel. And where we pick up the story today, Jesus is just outside of Jericho, and He's about to enter the town. And Jesus is with His followers, His disciples, but also, also all of those people who had been curious We've been compelled by the things that Jesus had been saying, the things that he had been doing. Scholars oftentimes say that although it says that there were 12 disciples, that certainly that number was much higher, that the reason the number 12 is used because it flashes back, it calls back to the 12 tribes of Israel. But yet here in this moment, we understand that there were probably dozens, if not hundreds of people that were following Jesus at this time. And as he's doing, as they're going, they encounter this blind man that is there by the side of the road, begging for his very life. Hear these words now from Luke chapter 18.
Today's scripture is from chapter 18 of Luke, beginning with verse 35. Here begins the reading. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. They told him, Jesus, when he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Andrew Bennett was an English politician, served in Parliament from the 1970s and early 80s, and he once said something that was not political at all, but deeply, deeply profound. He once said this. He said, the longest journey that you will ever take is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. The longest journey you'll ever take in your entire life is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. For some, that small distance will take a lifetime to navigate. You know how that is, right? We know something here, but we don't fully know it here. You can know something, but not feel it, to not believe it, to not trust it, to not live it. And that journey of the 18 inches between your head and heart can take a lifetime. We talked last week about the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, whose job it was to ensure that that everybody was living according to the law of Moses. They were, as Luke says a number of times, experts in the law. In other words, they knew. They were new how to read, how to how to interpret scripture. But what we see over and over in the story is that they didn't know how to employ it according to God's heart. They didn't know how to how to experience that they were so focused, they were so worried on the rules that they missed out on the understanding that really the rules were all about relationship. That those rules were designed to bring us life, to fill us with joy and not to enslave us or suck the life out of joy, your joy out of life. And so Jesus, what we see over and over again in Luke's gospel, in all of the gospels, is Jesus trying to bridge the heart and the mind, to show us how to experience life, the fullness of life. And this was something that the Pharisees never could grasp. They were constantly wrestling with, but could never quite make sense of that journey between the head and the heart. 
If you've got your Bibles open, flip back to the 10th chapter. At the very beginning of this journey narrative, Jesus has this encounter with one of those, with one of those experts in the law, Pharisee, who stands up at one point and starts to test. He wants to argue. He wants to debate with Jesus. And he simply asks him a question, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, Jesus, I can see it in my mind. He sort of pauses for a minute with a inquisitive look on his face, trying to figure out how to respond to this man, this prototypical Pharisee, this expert in the law who knows all of the laws. He knows all of the spiritual equations. He has it nailed down and buttoned up. He knows it all forwards and backwards. And he's thinking about how he's going to respond. And in that moment, he doesn't answer his question. He simply, he simply invites it to unearth it himself. Because he knows. He knows that this person knows the answer to the question that he just asked. And so he flips it around and asks the Pharisee a question. He says, well... You know the law. What does it say? You know it better than anybody else. What do you read there? Now, my understanding of Pharisees is that they were the type of people who always needed to be right, who always wanted everybody to know that they were the smartest people in the room. How many of you know someone like that? If you are married to someone like that, this is not the time to nudge them <laughs> and say he's talking about you. There was a couple in the 9 o'clock service. I'm not sure their marriage is going to make it anymore. <laughs> the Pharisee was one of those people, and he raises his hand. He says, I know this. I know this answer. This is a slam dunk. This is easy. This is what I read. He says, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And you can just sort of see him standing up proudly that he knew the right answer. And Jesus says, you nailed it. You got it exactly right. You got the right answer. Now, he said the hard part, go do it. Go do it. Do those things, and you will find the life that you were looking for, the life that you've always wanted it. You'll be able to experience here and now. You won't even have to wait until you get to heaven because you will experience the kingdom of heaven here and now. You will experience the fullness of God's love for you. Just go do it. And this often happens in conversations like that with people like that. It probably should have ended there, right? This young attorney, this expert in the law, asks a simple question, one that he already knew the answer to. He gives the right answer, and Jesus tells him what to do, but he's still not satisfied. He still needs to prove that he's the smartest guy in the room, that he knows all the right answers. And so for Jesus, for him, that answer from Jesus is unsatisfactory. He's still lacking something. Maybe you could say he knows it here, he just doesn't know it here. He needs more information, and so he presses a little bit further. And Luke says, wanting to justify himself... Ooh, I could preach for a month of Sundays on that phrase alone. Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, well, then who's my neighbor? 
And once again, Jesus probably paused with a quisitive look on his face, trying to figure out how he's going to respond. And this time, though, he doesn't ask a question. He simply launches into a story. He tells a, a parable. He tells a parable about a Samaritan, a man who was a nobody, according to the, the Galileans at the time. Samaritans of all things, a good Samaritan, there's no such thing, he would have thought. Well, this Samaritan was on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, the very road that Jesus and his followers are on, a road that the Pharisee would have traveled every single day of his life. And this nobody, this Samaritan, cares for this man who's been beaten and left for dead. He does the right thing. This good Samaritan, he does the right thing. He shows mercy when no one else is watching. He does the right thing. And Jesus says, just go and do the things that this Samaritan, this nobody does. Do the merciful thing. Show kindness and care. Show love and respect. Not because you want others to see how gracious and kind you are, how loving and generous, how smart you are. Don't do it because of those reasons, but simply do it because it's the right thing to do. It's the loving thing to do. Do that, he says, and when you do, you'll get a taste of the kingdom of heaven, the life that you have always wanted. Do the merciful things that he does on the road that you travel every day. Do that everywhere and always, and you will find the life that you are looking for. Now, part of what I love about this this whole understanding, this teaching that Jesus is trying to get us to see, to know not necessarily in our heads, but to feel and to know deep in our bones, deep in our heart, is that he is undercovering that we don't have to, he is uncovering that we don't have to wait for heaven, right? That we can experience it here and now. There is this teaching among modern theology today that says that if you do the right thing, that when you die, you get this generous reward and you get to spend eternity in heaven. But Jesus is saying, you don't have to wait. That you can have that here and now. He's not saying that you have to do these things in order to earn your way into heaven. He's saying that when you do these things, you bring heaven to earth here and now. And today that sounds profound, but at that time, at that time that was not that new. It was the same question, the same thing that Micah was wrestling, the prophet in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, when he led his people through this understanding. He says, he asked rhetorically, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, to love, walk humbly with your God? Do this, Micah was saying. Do this and experience the life that you are looking for, the life that you so desperately want. John Wesley was an English theologian in the 18th century. He led a revival movement of the Church of England known as Methodism. Basically started, founded the Methodist Church. And one time Wesley said this. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Any questions? <laughs> I think that about covers it, don't you? 
do all the good you can by the means you can and the ways that you can and all the places and all the times and all the people as long as you can. Jesus says to the Pharisees, if you want to experience eternal life, do the thing that the Samaritan does always and everywhere. Now, I tell you all of that, that story of the Good Samaritan and the Pharisee, in order to better understand the story that we read just a moment ago. I tell you that story so you better understand this story. Fast forward through the gospel. Jesus is on the road making that journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. A whole lot longer but more difficult even than that 18 inches between the head and the heart. And he's with his disciples. He's with those dozens, if not hundreds, of people that are following him, compelled by what he's doing and saying. And just before the text that Steve read just a moment ago, it says this. It says, but they understood nothing about all these things. In fact, what he was saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he was saying. In other words, they still don't get it. They still don't get it. I mean, they may have been able to understand it here, but they didn't know it here. After seven chapters, after three years, they still didn't get it. They, 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 they might be able to spit out the right answer, say to the Lord's Prayer. They might be able to say what those two top commandments are. They might be able to give all the right answers, but they still didn't know how to employ it. They didn't know how to live it out, how to experience it. And so all of that builds to this moment, and there they are on the actual road from Jericho to Jerusalem, the very one, the same road that the Good Samaritan helped that man, beaten and left for dead, that very same road. And as they're walking, they encounter this blind man, and the man hears the commotion. Can't see what's going on, but he hears the people talking, he hears the commotion going on, and he, he asks the people around him, what's happening, who's here? I can hear it. I can feel it. I might not be able to see it, but I can know that someone is here. And they explain that Jesus, that Jesus is passing by. And did you hear what he said? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But did you notice that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, all of those people that were following Jesus said, shh, don't Say a word. Lower your voice. Hush. But he shouts even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, Jesus this time hears the man shouting over the commotion. He has the man brought to him and he asks him what he wants him to do, which I think is always an interesting question. And he says, I want to see. I want to be able to see, Jesus, he says. And so Jesus said, receive your sight, for your faith has saved you. And just like that, the man gets up, and he's able to see, and he begins to follow him. And it says he was glorifying God as they went. And not only that, but everybody that was there, the dozens and if not hundreds of people, they all of a sudden, they were able to see what they couldn't see before. Maybe you could say it this way, that they knew in their hearts what they had already started to learn in their minds, and all of a sudden their eyes were open, and they finally began to see who this Jesus was, what his life and what his ministry was all about, and they too began to praise and to glorify God. 
And what I love about this story is that it's this blind beggar begging on the side of the road. This nobody, this outcast, is able to see what nobody else could see. He refers to Jesus as the son of David, which was at that time code for this is the Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting for for our whole lives. This is the one that the people of Israel have been waiting for for generations, thousands of years. This is the one that we've been waiting for, and he's able to see it before anybody else. This blind beggar, this nobody can see what other people can't. Maybe, maybe because they were so stuck in their heads and he begins to experience the wholeness that God intends for us to have, the life that, we's, that we've always wanted. Jesus wants us to see. And Luke is very clear to point out, to make sure that this understanding is, is fully alive in our hearts, is that this understanding of heaven, this eternal life, this life that we all desperately long for, is very much a here and now type of thing. That if we want to experience the life that we long for, the life that God intends for us to live, that we can do so on the ordinary roads that we travel every single day of our lives. That all we need to do is to notice, to do the merciful thing always and everywhere for as long as we can. To be able to see that, that God offers us these opportunities to do the merciful thing everywhere we go. And so church, may we come to see that if we really want the life that God intends for us, the life that we are looking for, we just need to do what the Good Samaritan does. We just need to do what Jesus does, and that is to offer compassion and mercy and love that whatever roads we travel down, that we might be aware of those people on the side that have been pushed to the margins of our society and to care for them with all the things that we have and all the ways that we can, with all that we are, that we might do the merciful thing always and everywhere. Not because other people are watching, not because we want everyone to think that we're the smartest, best people in the room, but simply because it's the right thing to do. It's the Jesus thing to do. May we know that. May we know that.